Luke's Gospel, the second chapter. As we have, through this kind of Advent season, have been looking at, um, uh, have been looking at the events surrounding the birth of Jesus Christ. And so to kind of recap where we've been, um, we, we started in Matthew's gospel with the angel appearing to, to Joseph. Actually, we started with the genealogy, lest I forget. Oh, yeah, we, we did the genealogy first. Then we, did, um, then we did the announcement by the angel to Joseph. And then the last several weeks, we've looked at uh, Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 1. And uh, three weeks ago, we started the first of four songs that Luke has recorded for us in his gospel. The first one, a couple weeks ago, you might remember, remember the Latin name begins with an M, Mary's Magnificat, right? So um, from Magnify. So there was the announcement to Mary and then her song. We looked at that. Last week, we looked at the Benedictus. Let's hear you say Benedictus. And so the benediction, we, this was re- regarding John's birth and, and Zechariah's, um, his song and his prophecy. And today we're looking at um, the song of the angels in Luke chapter 2. And we actually sang these words in the song, uh, the last song that we sang today um, in exalting the Savior's birth. The Gloria in excelsis Deo. So glory to God in the highest. And this is the song of the angels. And next week we'll come to another probably less well-known song. And I'm really looking forward uh, to that one, Lord willing. So our passage today is Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 22. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 22. And God's word says, In those days... A decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when when Quirinius was governor of Syria and all went to be registered each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee from the town of Nazareth to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. To be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those 
with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they had sought, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. And Mary treasured up these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. This is the reading of God's word. And we say, thanks be to God. God, indeed, we do thank you for this wonderful and yet familiar um, story of the announcement to the shepherds by the angels and this the third song that we have seen in Luke's gospel that glory to God in the highest from the heavenly host and we thank you for for your word God now here in the next few moments that you would by your spirit prepare our hearts to receive and to understand as we unpack a little of this passage and find some some truths that we um, that we can cling to from from your words. And so, God, we pray that you would do that here by your spirit. We pray all of this in the mighty name of your son, Jesus. Amen. So here we begin with this very familiar passage, and I I kind of meant to read this in the King James. Janet wanted me to read it in the King James. Everybody knows it in the the King James, probably from Linus, right? Very familiar. Linus, who's got his blanket, and uh, I don't know if you've ever noticed the spot. Have you guys seen the Charlie Brown Christmas thing? Did you ever notice the spot where right when he says, um, and do not be afraid, and he lets go of his blanket? I just think that's the coolest moment. Um, so sorry I didn't read it in the, the old traditional one, but I think we, we know God's word here. Today I want us to go through this very familiar, very um, uh, passage that we've, that's, uh, that's been heard, I'm sure, read, I'm sure, quite a bit this season. Uh, and so I want to just draw a few principles from it. So we got six little points of uh, scenes or uh, spots in this story, and then a couple of principles to, der- to derive from uh, from them. First, I want to begin with when the when of Jesus's birth and the where of Jesus's birth. That's the first two scenes here, the when of Jesus's birth and the where. And you could follow along and put these in, in your handout as well. Um, the when of Jesus's birth we see in verses one through five. It was in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was a governor over Syria. And all went to be registered to his own town. And Joseph went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary. Okay, so there, here you have a, a decree that has been issued by the Caesar, the uh, the Caesar of the Roman Empire, uh, Empire, Caesar Augustus. 
And so all of the Jews that were living in this land in Israel at this time were under Roman rule and Roman occupation. This is just a, a, viewed as another, uh, another foreign oppressive power through Israel's history that was seeking to, to displace them and occupy their land. And so all the Jews had returned back from their uh, exile in Babylon. They still had their worship. The temple was reconstructed, but they didn't have the long promised kingdom. That has not come into play. Uh, that had not been restored yet. They were still under the throne, the, the, the thumb of the Roman uh, Empire. And yet it's in that very scenario that Luke directs us to what God's plan was at that time. So I want us to notice that the providence of God, God's providential activity in these uh, events. God used world events to fulfill his plan. He used a decree and the policies of an emperor and a, and a kind of ruthless one too to bring about his purposes. Because remember, you may remember that the prophets, prophets had, had spoken long ago about where the Messiah uh, this Christ was going to be born and he was going to be born in Bethlehem in Judea. We'll look more at that next week. But the prophets had had were quite clear that this Messiah, this ruler king over Israel was going to come out of Bethlehem. Here's the thing. The promises given to Joseph and to Mary was that their son was going to be that savior. Except they were a um, hundred some miles away in the north. They were living in a town of Nazareth, which by foot was a several day, if not a week journey. And so here you have the providence of God using this activity, his, this decree of this Roman emperor to cause Joseph and Mary to return back to Bethlehem at exactly the right time. When she was to be given birth. To fulfill that prophecy that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. It's amazing, right? Galatians chapter 4 speaks about how uh, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son born of a woman born under the law. In the fullness of time, God has had a plan all along about where the Messiah was going to be born and when he was going to be born. And he used the dictates of Roman rulers in order to bring that plan about. That's what Luke wants to point out here. Just notice the, the, the providence of God's arrangement in order to make this happen. What a great promise that we have from Psalm 31. That speaks to this trust in God's providential care. But I trust in you, O Lord, the psalmist says. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hands. My times are in your hands. Famous pastor named J.C. Ryle uh, said this. 
Let us ever rest our souls on that thought. He's speaking here of the Psalm 31. That my times are in your hands. Let our rest our souls on that thought. Because he knows the ideal point in history. The perfect timing for the sending of his son into the world. Let us beware of giving way to over anxiety. About the course of events around us. That's a really great word that struck me this week. I'll say it again. Let us beware of giving way to over anxiety about the course of events around us as if we know better than the king of kings what time relief should come. Isn't that amazing? God uses world events to bring about his purposes. God uses the choices and policies of political leaders, even evil ones, to further his plan. That doesn't, that doesn't excuse those policies. It doesn't absolve them of their evil or their wickedness. But God still uses them nonetheless. As sinful as they are, no matter what intent selfish intent they may be or for what evil uh, they might produce god still like joseph says intends them for good friends we may not see god's plan in the moment and what he's doing but rest assured god's providential care over all things is at hand God is in control over all that happens even today to bring about his good purposes. Joseph and Mary may, may not have fully quite grasped everything um, that was about to happen. But Luke reminds us that this is all according to God's purpose and plan. Back to J.C. Ryle. He says this. The heart of a believer should take comfort in the recollection of God's providential government of the world. A true Christian should never be greatly moved or disquieted by the conduct of the rulers of earth. Any, any application to us today <laughs> here? Some of, as I read this, I'm very, uh, very encouraged by these words, but a little convicted. Uh, a little convicted too. A true Christian should never be greatly moved or disquieted by the conduct of rulers of earth. He should see with the eye of faith a hand overruling all that they do to the praise and glory of God. Amen, Amen indeed. He should regard every king and potentate an Augustus, a Quirinius, a Darius, a Cyrus, a Sennacherib as a creature who with all his power can do nothing but what God allows and nothing which will not carry out God's will. Friends, let's be reminded here at this Christmas season at the coming of the Messiah to earth that even his birth was was the working of the sovereign the sovereign providential plan of God using even emperor's decisions hundreds of miles away 
And imagine the inconvenience, right? To have to walk by foot several days just because the government told you to. Imagine doing it pregnant. That, that'll work up some, some ire in here. But just remember that nothing that happens happens outside of God's providential plan and care. His hand is moving. That's the where. That's the where, uh, excuse me, that's the, uh, the when of Jesus' birth. Let's look at the where of Jesus' birth. And of course, as we saw in verse 4, this is in Bethlehem. Bethlehem. This is the uh, legendary King David's hometown. Right? As we see in verse 11, it's the city, Bethlehem is known as the city of David. And you remember kind of how we are introduced to Bethlehem in the Bible. Um, the prophet Samuel comes to anoint someone from Jesse's house. He comes to Jesse's house to anoint a new king to replace Saul, whom the Lord has rejected. And so it was typical what would happen is that he would show up here and he's there to anoint a king. And so Jesse brings out his, his oldest, Eliab. Here, let me summarize the story for you. It wasn't Eliab, right? They bring out the next old, Abinadab. wasn't Abinadab. It wasn't Shammah. It wasn't any of the next four. It wasn't any of the seven sons, none of them. Samuel says to Jesse, wait, is that, you got any more? He's well, the one, it's the little boy who's out working in the fields. And as a matter of fact, it says um, he's tending the sheep. The Lord would later remind David that he was taken from being a shepherd to be prince over the people of Israel. I took you from the pasture from following the sheep that you should be prince over my people, Israel. David was a shepherd. And this happened in this little town. What we just read in our story today also happens in this same town of Bethlehem. While they were there, verse 6, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in manger because there was no place for them in the inn. So here we get now even a little tighter in the we're, we're looking not just in the town of Bethlehem, um, which was a town. It wasn't a very big city it, town of Bethlehem. And here, probably in a, a home, they end up in a home. Um, it says there was no room there in the guest room or the inn. The Greek word is a guest room. OK, so we must not um, think of like hotels in Bethlehem and that. Joseph and Mary were just trying to check in using their Marriott points. Uh, and well, sorry, uh, it's full. And even if we had a room, it's the cruel guy who sends them away. That's not quite the picture here. Janet is still mad at me for years ago, ruining the Christmas story by saying that there's no evil innkeeper that's shooing them away. If you want to keep believing that, that's fine. So it's not it's not an inn. It's probably the guest room. And but nevertheless, the guest rooms were all full. There would be kind of the main residence of the house, usually very small, very, very modest. And there would be some little side room that could be kind of used as the guest room. 
And then in uh, many cases, what they've seen like archaeological discoveries is that that the, where, the place where the animals would be kept would be under the same shelter. You didn't really have the luxury to build a house and then to go and build a separate barn where you kept your animals that you needed. They were kind of kept under the same roof in like maybe a little side area there and maybe even had a passageway. Usually the feeding trough might be between the main living area and where the animals were, were kept. And so because of this census, they are traveling down there they're visiting relatives. They're perhaps in a place where all of the other relatives are, are there and it's very crowded. And they're not able to stay in the guest room. They're very likely staying in with the animals. Now to this, I want us to note the humble condescension of the Son of God. The humble condescension of the Son of God. That even... That, that Jesus' arrival to the earth comes in the most humble and basic of circumstances. John speaks of the incarnation of God this way, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, tabernacled among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the son, only son of the father, full of grace and truth. Peter says something similar in first Peter one, that he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for our sakes, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope might be in God. The glory of Christ came in the uh, least glorious of settings. In a cattle stall. The little side room where the animals were kept underneath. Glory comes humbly. That's just, that's one of the cool things about how God works. That's how our Savior operates. The humility of his condescension, not only is his condescension, I, I think about the humility, uh, the humble circumstances of his arrival in his first week of life. I also think also of the humility of his arrival in a different sense in his last week of life or even his departure. Decades later, in the last week of Jesus's life, he would enter into Jerusalem in humility, too. Behold, your king comes to you humble on a donkey. Paul says this in Philippians chapter 2. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The entirety of Jesus' ministry from beginning to end was a demonstration of his humility. The humility of one who deserved all praise and glory. I love this quote from Bruce Shelley in his book, Church History in Plain Language. Christianity is the only major religion that to have as its central event the humiliation of its God. I'll say that again. Christianity is the only major religion to have as its central event the humiliation of its God. Because Jesus ultimately was humbled all the way to death on a cross and was buried. 
Jesus was entitled to have be sovereign ruler over all creation, and he, and he was. And yet he chose the most humble way to enter into the world. To this little family in this little village to be placed not in some nice cradle that would have been made for them, but to be placed where the animals would, would eat. Paul says this, 2 Corinthians, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that, through, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. And Paul is not referring just to material riches and poverty here. He's talking about the poverty of his humble life on earth all the way to death and the grave. And the riches that we receive from that are the riches, um, the heavenly riches from God in his eternal kingdom. So let's remember the humble condescension of the son of God. Number three, we look at the angelic announcement to the shepherds, verses eight through twelve. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths. And lying in a manger. Shepherds. Speaking of the humble condescension of our God in the arrival of the Son of God, you have the continuation of that theme in who the very first, outside of family members, the very first announcement, and the word he uses here is gospel, good news, the very first announcement of the gospel here to outsiders outside of the family come to shepherds shepherding was the most basic low-level job in the ancient world they were very simple they were very poor uh, some said that because of the the environment they were they were pretty uh, rough around the edges that they were also um, frequently despised perhaps some say but they were usually often very simple and very poor. To this, I want us to notice the wisdom of our God. The wisdom of God. To think about this. That the very first public announcement of God's son outside of the family came not to the educated. It didn't come to the religious elite. It did not come to the academics and the scholars in Jerusalem. It didn't come to the priests. It didn't come to the Pharisees. It didn't come to the scribes. It came to shepherds. It came to the common man. The gospel first came to the, the social outcasts of Jesus' day. And such is the wisdom of God. I, I love this. The gospel, Paul says in Romans, is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. In 1 Corinthians 1, Paul elaborating on the power of God, 
the gospel being the power of God for salvation, says, hey, when I came to you, Corinthians, this is the, the Aaron, the, this is the message Aaron version. Um, I came to you preaching the gospel. I didn't use uh, eloquent words of wisdom. And I didn't do that because I did not want the cross to be emptied of its power. The word of the cross, the message of the gospel of a crucified king, that's folly to those who are perishing, he says. But to those of us who are being saved, that message is the power of God. God, by doing, choosing to use this simple message about Christ's condescension to the earth and suffering on a cross... By doing so, he upends the entire wisdom system of, of our world. God made foolish the wisdom of the world. Because God, in his wisdom, he designed it that the world would come to know God, not through some sort of exalted wisdom, but God delighted. He rejoiced. He thought this was going to be really fun to save people who would believe through the folly of preaching. The folly of preaching the simple gospel message. He says, Jews demand signs, Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. Again, Christianity is the only major religion to have at its central event the humiliation of its God. So this is the wisdom of God in coming to these shepherds. The very first announcement outside of the family. And then here you have the announcement of these angels. The announcement of the angel. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Okay, this is the hymn of the heavenly host. The hymn of the heavenly host. Suddenly there was an angel with the angel, a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying glory to God in the highest. Now notice host. The, the, uh, we don't use this word very often these days. We think of it as like hosting or somebody's bringing you into the house. A host is the, is the Hebrew term for an army, an entire army. And so basically, in, uh, I mean, the shepherds were terrified at the sight of the one angel. Now a multitude of, of a host, a heavenly host. So these are angels. Each angel was terrifying, right? They're not really pretty, you know, nice little thing. These guys were, would cause fear in anybody that they came to. People would fall on their face. Now imagine an army, a heavenly host showing up. And they're announcing this message. Glory to God on highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now, another, another way I'm going to ruin Christmas for some people. Um, it's not as in the old King James and on earth peace. Goodwill toward men. Okay. 
uh, I think when sometimes we read those words, we might kind of mis- misunderstand what, what he's saying there from the old classic way. It's not, hey, it's Christmas, everyone being kind to everyone else. That's not the main announcement from the angels. The angel doesn't announce glory to God, be nice to each other. That's not the meaning. Nothing wrong with that. But that's not what the angels are doing. Nor is this a promise of eternal salvation in some sort of way. The meaning seems to be, one commentator says, not that divine peace can be bestowed only where human goodwill is already present, but that at the birth of the Savior, God's peace rests on those whom he has chosen in accord with its good pleasure. Okay, so the point is rather that the birth of the Messiah extends his favor, his grace on people, not who deserve it, but those on whom he graciously grants his peace. And peace among those with whom God is pleased, it says. And so here we look at the peace that we can have with God. At the nature of salvation entails with it the restoration of God's good relation with sinful people. That's peace. That's why Paul writes, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And that it's this peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. This is what it means when we speak of peace in this holiday season. If you, if you want peace as in a kind of a serenity in the home, the fireplace is on because your husband knows how to turn the thing on, unlike at my house, doesn't know how to, to ignite the pilot light, thank you. If you've got a nice fireplace on, the tree is up, candles are on, Christmas music is playing, the smell of cookies is coming out of the oven. And you think, ah, that's peace. That's nice. But that's not peace. The peace that these angels are announcing is not serenity in the home. The peace that these angels are announcing is that God is now reconciling himself by grace to his people through his son, the Savior. Glory to God in the highest. Isn't that better? Then glory to God, peace on earth, and be nice to one another. That's not the angel's message. Nothing wrong. But that God is reconciling the world to himself through his son. This is what they announce. And so the, the shepherds then now go. Here's uh, part, part five. The shepherds now go to seek the sign. Verses 15 through 20. And when the angels went away from uh, them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing which has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning the child. 
And what had been told to them concerning the child is in verse is summarized in verse 11. Let me read that again. For unto you this uh, is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The shepherds now go with haste. They find this house. They come to this family with this young child here. And they say everything that they had been that had been made known to them, it says. And all who heard it were wondering at what the shepherds were saying. Imagine that. The shepherds having heard this gospel, they now turn and go and gospel that message to, to this family. They just wanted to share everything that they had heard. And so they go and share it. And just quite simply, friends, we received this amazing message. Can we too do that? Can we go with haste and go and tell other people about this peace that we have through this, this child that is born to us? That's what the shepherds do. And they go and confirm that this sign is true. And last we come to the wonder of the young mother. Verse 19. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. This isn't the first, this isn't the last time Luke says this. He also says this in verse 51 of this chapter. 13 years later, it says, And Mary treasured up all these things in her heart. What, what this does tell us a little bit is that Luke, at the beginning of his gospel, said, Hey, I'm investigating everything. I'm doing eyewitness interviews to give you a full and accurate report about this, this event that has turned the world upside down as he's writing this gospel. To uh, his dear Theophilus, he says. And what I notice here with those, the use of those two words is that Luke had the opportunity to go and interview Mary. Because how else would Luke really come to know the fact that Mary treasured these things up in her, in her heart? If he didn't have the opportunity to interview Mary about it. It's an incredible story to hear. It would have been incredible for Luke to hear. It would have been incredible for Mary to experience. Imagine you experience what Mary experienced. And she treasured all of these things and pondered them in wonder and amazement. The truths about the incarnation of God. Friends, may we too treasure and ponder the wonder and amazement about the truth of the incarnation of the Son of God, Jesus, our Savior, to this world. May we too ponder them in our heart. May we meditate on them. And it, it's almost inexhaustible, inexhaustible to, uh, to think about the wondrous things that this done but let me give you a uh, let me give you a start let's start with these four 
the providence of God. His mighty hand working through the godless rulers of the world in order to bring about his plan. The humble condescension of the Son of God. Born to poor common people. Born among the animals. Placed in a feeding trough. Let's ponder also the wisdom of God. Upending the systems of wisdom in the world. In how he was going to communicate this message of the gospel. And that he chose... Not the wisdom of the world to do so, but by the foolishness of this message. The humiliation of our God. Through which we can have peace with God. The the separation that happens between us and God because of our sin and the wrath that we deserve, that warfare is now over through faith in His Son, whom He has sent forth in the fullness of time, that we might have peace with Him. If we were to treasure and ponder and wonder and amazement at anything, these might be a good thing, to, good place to start. Amen? Amen? And with that, let's close in a word of prayer. God, we, we too want to pray along, or sing along with these angels. Glory to you in the highest. And that on earth, peace is now among those with whom you have directed your favor and your grace. God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you that you, by your spirit, had preserved this word of Luke for us to read and for us to reflect on and meditate on in this season. And may we wonder in amazement this week, God, may you draw to mind your providential hand. May we be humbled in remembering the humble condescension of your son. May we marvel at the wisdom of the simplicity of this message. And may we, may our hearts be guarded with the peace that you grant to us because we have been reconciled with you through faith in Christ. God, we praise you for these things. And it's in your name and the name of your son, Jesus, and by the power of your Holy Spirit that all of us pray. Amen and amen. Friends, would you stand for our closing uh, benediction? Uh, reminder, too, if, if you have some questions about the fourth family feast Christmas brunch next week. Um, come and see Janet, grab her before you leave. Uh, and reminder also that the offering box is on the, uh, back table. And with that, uh, friends, let me send you off with may the grace 
of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the fellowship that we have in the Holy Spirit be with all of you as you go. Thank you.